Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is November of 2018. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. Uh, this is me, Jeff Greiner. We also have Sam Dillon. Say hi. Hi. And Michael W. Shea. I've decided now W I'm, is your middle initial. I'm hot. I'm taking off my jacket. I, I've oftentimes said that about you. People come up to me on the street sometimes and say, hey, what do you think about Mike Shea? And I say, he's hot. Hot. Look at that jacket he's wearing. He's sweating. <laughs> So, uh, 15 minutes on the timer for each of us, and then we also have a, a uh, listener question that was emailed to us that we will discuss at the end. Um, and, you know, I might actually throw in another question as well during my time, because I don't have a ton to talk about, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Mike, 15 minutes Yo. on the clock. You are first, and go. All right. I've run a whole bunch of games. Uh, so I've been running my two Tomb of Annihilation games, uh, my Wednesday game and my Sunday game. The Wednesday game or the Sunday game is getting further along. They both groups are now in the Tomb of the Nine Gods, which is a whole big experience. And uh, the Sunday game has been exploring it quite a bit. They are now on the fourth level and have been crawling through that. They sort of skipped. One thing about this dungeon is you can go in many different directions, which makes prep for this dungeon difficult <laughs> because sure. it's very vertical and and there's like a stairwell right in the middle that you can go anywhere. But they've been wandering around uh, in different in different areas. And I think my most some of the most fun I've had is when they met Withers, who's uh, a Sararax caretaker for the dungeon. Mm -hmm. And Withers was real excited to meet them and ask them all kinds of questions about their experience so far and has it, you know, on a scale of one to 10 with one being happy, you know, like happy and peaceful and 10 being terrifying and horrible. How has each of the rooms been? And he handed out, <laughs> he handed out like, survey cards to them. So he did a little focus group. Right. Right. Cause he never gets to talk to people. And of course he wants to know that it was awful. Right. He wants to hear that it was right. awful. Um, I also, I also made him a lich uh, because I love liches and you can never have too many of them. And instead, I think he's like a white in, uh, you know, in the in the book. But yeah, get he is two hits. So I'm like, no, I'm going to have him be a full lich, just like a lich that's not exactly fully prepared and, and you know, could be <laughs> potentially defeatable. Right. right. Fighting them off is not exactly his priority anyway. Right. Yeah. And he yeah. Like, they didn't expect him. So he's not like sitting there with a staff of power and all of his buffs up waiting to kick their ass. And they thought about, like, should we kill this guy? And I'm like, well, he's dangerous. Like, we know he's dangerous and we don't know what that's like. But he doesn't seem interested in killing us. He's just saying, hey, you know, you wandered into the back halls. You really need to get back on the ride. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, you're in the wrong place. And they said, OK, we'll do that. And so they now know that the crawling claws that they see every so often are actually him his spies right he has crawling claws that sort of keep a track of what they're doing and then go back to him and 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 kind of communicate back what the what the characters have been up to um so that's been a lot of fun that group also uh like everyone is possessed by at least one thing and in some cases two or three mm -hmm. uh so in one case one of the characters has a trickster god spirit in him he also has been touched by the Night Serpent and is potentially the key to opening up the gate between the Night Serpent's world and the mortal world. And now he's an apprentice of a, or a potential apprentice of a Sararak. <laughs> he's got all those things going on for him. Like his job prospects are really good. Right, like, well, his job prospects amongst horrible evil entities yeah, in the universe. Evils, right, yeah. among elder evils, he's he's highly regarded. Right. So what what happened to him is there's a room where this is obviously. Annihilation spoilers. Uh, there's a room where you get when a character can get stuck in a minotaur maze on the wall, and you can randomly pick up a key that uh, gives a gift of a Sararak. And he rolled and rolled double zero, so he got a key that's called the Black Key, and there is only one of them. It's only on double zero, and the effect of the key is that you get nine lives. You get if you if you drop to zero, you instead return to one, um, nine times. And that's pretty powerful on its own, but I was like, that's not really worthy of a double zero on this crazy key on this death. <laughs> so I said, he also got like a, a Sararax hand, which lets him do blight um, once per short rest, you know, as an action. Like he, he can now do this. He has an extra blight that he can do. Um, okay. 
and that that gives him sort of like a lich touch. You know, he can sort of use his weird skeletal hand to cast blight. And the and the blight works on undead because it would be pretty useless in the tomb if it didn't. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he was the, the 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 player was very excited about that. What he doesn't know is that also was like a mark of a Sarek that's like I'm watching you, and I think you might be a good contender to be a potential apprentice. Right. So uh, that that should be fun. And now he knows that like in once and they saw a Sarek, like a Sarek sort of the spirit of Aserak sort of showed up and touched the guy, you know? And so they, they, they kind of like, Oh, uh Oh, you know? So is so Aserak in your, in your incarnation uh, running around without a hand? No, it's just it's not actually Aserak's hand. It's just, oh. sort of, you know, he it, like, like the, the power is like the hand of Aserak, but it's, you know, yeah, it's not I like, Vecna. Yeah, it's, not, say, so, it's not, it's not like the eye of Vecna, the hand. Yeah, of the right, right, right. It's yeah. just sort of, well, a, and, and, and my first inclination with the Serac is always that he's a demi-lich. So he's just a skull anyway, because yeah, that's, that's historically he's how he's been. Right? Yeah, right. In this game, he's an arch lich, right? Like right. he's got a physical body. Right. And so that, that that's right. why I was thinking yeah. like, oh, you could actually like shell out his, his body yeah, parts, right. his reliquaries, you know, because yeah. well, he's well, just I mean, a head. He's got it. You could have 50 hands if he wanted. I suppose. You know, he can do whatever he wants. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, so the fun bit is every time this character loses one of those nine lives, he's going to get more lich like, uh -huh. right? So like on his ninth life, he will be full undead wizard mm. and he's an undead. He's a, he's a warlock right now. So he'll continue to be a warlock. But the idea is like, he's losing his soul to a Sararak and, and he's becoming more of a vessel of a Sararak every, you know, does he realize? Yeah. They like, he, he lost one of them just recently, got hit by something really bad. And uh, yeah, it was a finger of death trap mm. and he got hit by that and it dropped him to zero and he instead returned to one. And then he saw that like his whole left arm is getting more skeletal. So he's like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's mm -hmm. bad. so that's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying that. Um, I also ran and my home group is just now getting into the dungeon. So they, they, they handled all of the craziness that was going on outside. Um, and they decided I gave them an opportunity to switch out their mains to characters that they might not want to, you know, that they might be willing to throw into a big adventure combine. And, and they threw their mains in. So we'll see who survives because, boy, is it deadly. Hmm. You know, it doesn't it does. It's not deadly on the first level as much, although there's one room that really is like the room with the three boxes. And one of them is a disintegrate box. Yeah. Pretty awful. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a tough one. Yeah, and I actually chickened out on that one when my other group went in there. I said like, you know, I just warned the guy like, you're probably going to want to have, you're probably going to want to heal up before you try these boxes out. Yeah, <laughs> now that killed one of my pieces. Yeah, it's yeah. easy, it's yeah. easy to kill them because it's just a straight disintegrate, and if it's if, you know if they drop to zero, they're dead. Yeah. And and the character that got hit was at max hit points, and it dropped into one hit point. Oh geez. Yeah, yep. that same he thing happened to yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um. So I also ran my Halloween, my annual Halloween Ravenloft, Ravenloft game. Mm -hmm. And I used your idea, wonderful idea that you have, Jeff, of uh, doing Madame Eva's prophecy in the cart on the way to the castle. Hmm. Uh, and I used James Intercasso's list of cards on which cards can, you know, from Curse of Strahd still relate to the rooms in the castle. And it was a night we had a couple of people who had never played Ravenloft before um, and uh, a couple of people that had played in previous versions. Three of us had played in three players had played in previous years. So some people kind of knew the castle a little bit, but like you never know where the things are going to show up or how to get there. Um, and in this case, like the items were strewn all about, like all the way from the uppermost tower to the, the crypt. And like, mm. they're all basically going to get one. And, um, you know, it was, it was fun. Like getting, getting around was fun. They got betrayed by a couple of Barovian, you know, Barovian gypsy types. Did you do it and as a one shot? One shot. It's all, it's all done in four hours. Oh, yeah, how do whole. you, how do you do that with everything so spread out? <laughs> they, like, so, so the, the, the way I run it is, uh, I thought you did it this way too. Maybe. Yeah. yeah maybe have, like, the, the intro, the intro is the riding in a cart to Ravenloft. They get kicked out the door. They, they, they do the prophecy. Uh, they get kicked out the door and um, they have the dinner with Strahd. And Strahd says, you know, if, if one of the players is playing Irina, he will go to that player and say, why don't you just join me now and I'll let your friends leave and everything will be fine. And, and they have that option. Or they could just say, no, screw you. You know, we're not giving up Irina. We're going to kill you. And he goes, OK, well, in two and a half hours, I'm showing up and you better be ready. Oh, I see. So you and I set an actual live timer that's 45 minutes before the end of the session that says Strahd's showing up at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, and whatever whatever you have available to fight him, you have. 
Yeah, um, I don't. That wasn't my idea, but I think I've I've seen that one floating around, and I will totally take credit for it. But sure, well, uh, I mean, you did the whole right up in the cart thing. I'm pretty sure, right? That was I, I, I don't know, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I think there have been some people. Um, posting recently about how to do the you know uh, covers of strong yeah, thing and you know yeah, james Hayek just wrote an article for dnd beyond right. that also talked about how to do that yeah you know he wrote it right after i had run it so that was there helpful thanks yeah. james <laughs> Thank timing, james so um uh anyway strad showed up and killed them and wiped them out and and like everyone's sort of like wow we all died and it was kind of <laughs> anticlimactic they, like, they didn't want to die and of course it's pretty lethal like you're fighting a vampire right a major vampire uh-huh. and the problem is they had gotten beat up pretty badly in previous fights what so level they, were they they had burned out a lot of stuff um and they got some terrible roles and strad kind of hit them when they were they had just fought they were they, like strad was the third wave of a three-wave fight because of the way the timer worked out. They fought mm. five rates and then a whole metric S ton of rat swarms and then Strahd. And what level are they? Or were they? They were eight. Okay. Level eight. And they had the sun sword, which is the main thing. But Strahd used improved invisibility and that made it really hard. Like him with improved invisibility is really hard to deal with because mm. you can't target him with anything. And any spell that says you see your target, you can't see. Mm-hmm. And I think the only thing is like I, I, I he was taking damage and I don't think I was rolling concentration checks when he was taking radiant damage. And that was probably that might have broken it. Um, so I played him probably too hard. Uh, and the other thing I think about is like there was this really great opportunity where he knocked three of the characters down. There was only there was or he knocked four of the five down. And the one that was left was this uh, sun cleric who was very sort of flamboyant. She was very sort of high energy. And he said, and she had been slowly losing that energy as she's getting hit by traps and wraiths and all sorts of other stuff. And like her hair changed color. And he's like, you know, you're on the path to being a great, you know, dark cleric. Why don't you join me instead of Irina? And you and I can be the king and queen of Barovia. And, and if you would accept this, I'll let your friends go. And she's like, can I think about it? And while she's thinking <laughs> about it, her hand is going to the sun sword. And he says, sure, go ahead and think about it. And then grabs the paladin and starts chewing on him. <laughs> you know, and then she attacks with the sun sword, and he sees her attacking with the sun sword because she has, he has a perception of twenty four, right? And knock, you know, basically just knocks her out with a single hit, and then that was the TPK. And I thought, like, how cool would it have been to let her hit him with the sun sword? Like, why didn't I just let that happen? That was the cooler, <laughs> and you know, and instead I was like, well, he's real smart, you know. So it would have been. That was one where afterwards I felt like I could have gone with that scene in a different way, and nobody would have cared that I that I sort of gamed it in their favor you know and especially because it's a one shot like on one on one on one hand it's a one shot so i like i don't feel bad about being a little more ruthless uh on the other hand like it would have been way more cinematic to to have him you know roll it up and have him do his attack and whatever to to to, to kill her off but then narratively describe it that like you impale him with the sun sword as he tears your throat out you know so you got him you got him good but you died in the process you know Right. I just I, we had just watched Bram Stoker's Dracula and the last scene in Bram Stoker's Dracula is Mina stabbing, you know, Dracula with the dagger like mm. and cutting his head off. And I was like, that was exactly what could have yeah, happened in the exactly. scene. It would be cool. You know? right. it's like, and instead it was just, you know, it's kind of a letdown. So I'll run it again next year and it'll be fine. But boy, I'll tell you, I am not a deadly DM and I don't like killing characters. Yeah, I don't either. You know, everybody talks all the time about the importance of killing characters and if the threat's not there, the game loses. And I'm like, I've, the number of TPKs I have is on, I could count on one hand. And I've had a lot of fun with D&D and so have my players. So yeah. like, I don't think it needs to be as lethal as we think. Um, the irony is the very next day I ran my Tomb of Annihilation game and I TPK'd that group too. <laughs> <laughs> and in that case, they were fighting. I, I had changed a room a little bit and put a pair of flame skulls and a giant skeleton from the Tomb of Horrors, which I reskinned as a, a four-armed one. Well, you remember the skeletal guardians? They have like yeah. four-armed skeletons with scimitars. Mm-hmm. I was like, I want, where are those guys? You know, like one of my favorite four monsters. So I put that guy in there, and I used the the the, the giant skeleton stat block because it fits per, pretty much perfectly. Yeah. And uh, boy, oh well, it was, it was beautiful. Again, spoilers for Tomb of Annihilation. It was beautiful because they had these two flame skulls that are peppering them with uh, fire rays, and then they blinded the skeletons, and that pissed them off. So they double fireballed the group. So the group took sixteen d six damage, mm-hmm. and and the rogue. Made all his saves, which meant he took zero while everybody else took a, 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 a you know, crap ton of fire. Right. So everyone was down except the rogue. 
the rogue fires a couple shots or does something and destroys the, the flame skulls. And now he's only got the skeleton. And he's like, hey, do you remember that necklace of fireballs I just picked up in the previous room? And I'm like, yes. He goes, I put it on. And I'm like, they all explode, all the fireballs. Because <laughs> it's a trapped necklace. Right? right. And he's like, oh, oh no. And I'm like, that's 78 fire damage, and it's not resistible. You know, he's like, oh, no. So he went from full to zero, you know, and then he was the last character up. Yeah. So in that case, I gave them death saves until three people, until anybody made three successes. And then I gave them essentially like a half a hit point where they could crawl over and use a potion of healing on the other people and sort of get themselves back up. Mm-hmm. So I, did, I didn't let the skeleton, you know, skeleton's not going to go around kuda grying it. And my thought is like Withers and, a, you know, Withers knows that the, the dungeon lives on pain, not just death. So mm-hmm. he wants them to suffer. And that's not, you know, them dying in that room isn't enough suffering yet. So I think Withers would probably, you know, have a crawling claw, give him a healing potion, you know, if need be. Hmm. Yeah, and, and I hear, you know, um, you know, you talk about the, the you talk, uh, good timing. You talk about yeah. the, the double fireball and my first instinct is like, oh my gosh, that's, that's like hardcore, right? Yeah. Um, at the, on the other hand, like, then I think about my own party and they do that crap all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they went through whole sections of um, um, the princes of the apocalypse going into the elemental temples. Like they would like kick in the door, um, throw up a silence. One person would throw up a silence, and two people would throw in like double shatters or double fireballs or whatever. Sure, yeah, right. And it's yeah. because of the silence, it doesn't make any noise, so it doesn't alert you know anybody else in the dungeon. <laughs> and they just did this over and over and over again. They cleared like half the dungeon that way, and so like. On one hand, yeah, that that's that's hardcore and that's really mean. And on the other hand, like they do it to me all the time. So, so maybe yeah, turn, maybe turnabout is fair hey, play. There's 28 of those guys in that room. Yeah, you know, like and they didn't get killed. But yeah, like yeah, double fireballs are bad. And the irony was like I didn't want to fireball them, but I'm like, man, those flame skulls are going to fireball you if you blind them. Cause... Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm done. I'm done You're on done. time. On I would time. like, I would like yep. official recognition. You finished on I'm time. Done on time. Absolutely. All right. Uh, before we move on to Sam, I want to remind everybody that if you want to support the show, you can do so on Amazon and DMs Guild. If you go to thetomeshow.com, you will find links in each of the posts that Sam has carefully placed there. Uh, and if you <laughs> click on those links, uh, you will be taken to Amazon and DMs Guild, the exact same Amazon and DMs Guild that you're used to seeing, uh, only we get a small percentage of the proceeds because we're the ones who sent you there, uh, you know. Um, so Amazon that gets shared amongst all the people who help, uh, produce stuff for the show and the DMs guild stuff. I try to use to, to buy products and PDFs and things for us to review and, and discuss and what have you. So go support us over there. Amazon DMs guild at the Tome Sam, yes, you, you, you've got 15 minutes on the clock and we haven't talked to you in a couple of months because you were replaced by Jonathan green last, last month. So we, we are eager to hear what you have been doing. Ah, well, I have been running two different games, uh, neither of them officially D&D. One of them is a Labyrinth Lord game. I think I actually talked about this last time I was on here. I'm running the Barrow Maze, Mm. which is a huge uh, mega dungeon that is in this swampy Barrow area. So you you can explore the above-ground Barrows, which are basically these crypts, and you can still make it back to town. Uh, to you know rest up and visit some clerics and whatnot and then you can find the entrance down to the actual tougher sort of dungeon and there were multiple Um, entrances and exits right there's multiple entrances and exits it's not a it doesn't go deeper it's a very uh it's on it's basically on one level um, so, you know, the traditional sort of mega dungeons are you go in and you either you're in either in a giant tower. So you're going up every level you go up, it gets more difficult or you're going down in a dungeon and every level you go down, it gets more difficult. And that's not really how this is set up. This is sort of a non non-traditional setup. But basically uh, the different places that you go and the farther that you go into the into the actual dungeon part, things get more and more difficult. Um, and it's it's a labyrinth lord uh, labyrinth lord game, so it's um, you know it's it's basically a, that's basically a, a basic D and D retro clone, mm-hmm. um, and so it's extremely deadly. So I've got about you know seven or eight PCs, 
and then they also they always take you know two or three different hirelings and whatnot um and uh and it's a lot of hijinks and it's really fun and uh last time for example the um the uh, one of the dwarves got killed by some giant carnivorous flies and they uh the party retrieved her body and then as they were leaving the barrows they uh ran across this really wet swampy area and they heard some frogs croaking and so they freaked out because they knew there would be giant frogs around that would you know flop their tongues out and eat them so they threw the dwarf's body <laughs> toward the <laughs> frogs uh to to distract the frogs and they quickly ran away and uh, and survived to uh to to explore another day well the, the dwarf didn't survive but all, all of the rest of them survived so uh it's it's just a lot of fun it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of very quick hijinks. There's not a lot of prep to it because uh, it's it's not a rules heavy system. It's very rules light, um, and it's it's just a it's a boatload of fun. So I, I'm running that game I, that runs every Friday, uh, and then um, and also I can't say enough about the designer of that particular product, Barrow Maze. His name is Greg Gillespie, and he is just he has created a couple of really really fantastic products that that bring in sort of that old school ideals and also do it in a way that, you know, I, I spend very little time prepping for this game and it's extremely fun all the time, every single time I play it. And, uh, it's, it's also, um, very much, uh, it has interesting creatures and, you know, he finds interesting ways to, to differentiate different types of skeletons and things like that. So it's kind of refreshing to see that, it's it's refreshing and different in a way that something like Tomb of Annihilation is also refreshing but hmm. different. I don't if you get what I mean. Um, well, it sounds like, the, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm just basing it off of, of what information I have. But it sounds like mm-hmm. your your Barrow Maze campaign is fairly story light. Um, that the the dungeon crawl, the exploration, the combat is more the, is more the focus in this game. Is that is that right? There. There is an overarching story, and uh, there there have been a couple of sessions where the party has sort of uh, grabbed onto some some clues, and they're starting to figure out that there's some weird stuff going on in the town. Um, but you know, it's set up in a way that doesn't require a lot of investment for the party to sort of you know. It, let me put it like this. They can investigate different areas and find different clues. And eventually if they want to, they can put together some of those clues and, you know, and actually do something about it, but it's not a requirement. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it does have an overarching story. It does have factions. You know, there's a couple of different, uh, there's a necromancer, uh, group and there's a, a group of worshipers of Orcus that, are running around and then there's you know a thieves guild that sort of uh keeps running people through the um through the barrow maze and they of course want to gather more loot than than you right so mm-hmm. so there's sort of this uh friendly or unfriendly competition depending on how the how the players respond and how you run it and things like that so mm-hmm. there's a lot going on it's not just a, a a generic dungeon where oh yeah you just go and fight no, but it sounds like that that may be sort sort of the the fresh air fresh air experience is, though mm-hmm. is that because it's not like there's some narrative sort of to to provide a skeleton to hang the set pieces off of but right. but that's not as much the 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 central point, right? That's right. That's right. That's that's true. Um and then the and then my second game that I'm running is I'm running uh Fantasy Flight Games has uh has three different Star Wars RPGs. And uh, one of them is uh, the very first one that came out. It's called Edge of the Empire. And it's mm-hmm. basically in the Star Wars universe. And uh, all of the players uh, are create PCs that are, um, you know, s- smugglers and the very, uh, very Han Solo type characters. And then they, they run around trying to pay off all of their debts that they have, have you know, all the trouble they've gotten themselves into. Um flying around the galaxy and and trying to uh, make sure that you know uh, the 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 hut family or the hut clan doesn't come in and put them in carbonite mm-hmm. for example um and that's that's extremely fun um it has these weird dice uh and so the the mm-hmm. it's a dice pool resolution system and uh the dice are very odd but the thing is that it allows for a sort of cinematic narrative kind of gameplay that 
is very different from something like a D&D. And it's different in a good way and in a bad way because it's different in a, in a good way in that if you can get over the fact that it's so odd and different, it can be a really great experience mm-hmm. um, if, if all the players buy into it and the GM sort of is very flexible and, and lets things happen. Um, but if you can't really get over it, it, it could be a really bad experience, uh, I imagine. Um, I, I've heard that in, in any case. Mm-hmm. So luckily, uh, most of my players are really enjoying it. So now, it's uh, does, really does fun. It, does it have sort of a, a campaign, a, a series of adventures or whatever that you're, you're running it? then yeah so so i'm running i am running a they they have they have about two or three published campaigns for this particular uh for this particular version of the game because you know so basically they have the reason they have three different games is that they take place in sort of three different styles so the one i'm playing is like the smuggler style and then there's of course one with jedi and force users and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and then there's one that's like being a you know, more like in the rebellion where you're in a military unit kind of thing. So, so it's, uh, pulp stories, fantasy stories, or military stories. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in, in a way, in a way. Yeah. That's a good way to break okay. it up. So, but my party happens to be playing a, uh, a very fun adventure. There's three, there's three adventures that were released for it. And I, I court, sort of have taken the framework from one and of course cobbled my own kind of thing sure. out of it based on the backstory of the players and what their debts are and who they owe and things like that. So it's a great deal of fun. I'm having a ton of fun with it. So, and are the I'm different, really... are the different games compatible? Is it like the same rule system or whatever? They just, yeah, it's the same exact thing. Okay. So like, in fact, I have a, a force user, I have a Jedi in the party, uh, mm-hmm. And so that technically comes from the Force and Destiny core book, but really the core is the same. It's just sure. that the books offer different types of characters that you could play. Okay. So they don't exactly the same. They don't have to that, like they could sell. Here's the core rules, and then here's the different sort of add-on modules to do these different kinds of characters. That's just not how they packaged it. Right, because they yeah yeah. I mean, I, we could we could you know ruminate about the the wisdom of the way that they set up the, their game. Right. Uh, you know, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not a, a super duper fan of the way that they did it. Um, you know, because I bought three core books and, right. you know, each of the core, each of the cores has, you know, different supplements with different types of specializations and talents and all this kind of crap. And well, really it's fantasy, it's a, fantasy, you know, it's a way to sell a lot of books, right? Right. Fantasy Flight is is an expert at that, right? Getting you to pay more money than you need to pay in order to play some really good games. So. Right. And and the thing is that that that's the thing, right? The games, the books are beautiful. I really enjoy the actual products. Mm-hmm. So I I don't like I, you know, I understand that there are people have complaints about it and i think those complaints are valid for me i don't have some of the constraints that some other people have in terms of financially or whatnot um and so i'm able to purchase those those books with with little issue um and you know but but i do understand the complaints i think you know it's 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 a it's a you know, it's sort of like if we if we talk D and D for a second. Remember back in the in the fourth edition days and in the third edition days, uh, and you know, there's one or two hardbound books coming out every month, mm-hmm. and there's a, a an adventure or two coming out every month, and there's a supplement, and there's this, there's that, and and you know, if you if you really enjoy the game and you want to buy all those things, that gets really pricey really quick. Yeah. And that's kind of what FFG has done with Star Wars. Yeah. Luckily, though, they're kind of at the end of that, so they're they're now they've slowed down a great deal on mm. on on bringing those products out. So I'm I'm a little bit um, I, I'm sort of over the hump in terms of you know there's not a lot of outlay I have to I have to do anymore because they they basically are at the end of their treadmill so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Well, so is that an is that a, an indicator you think that the the license is ending soon or? No, what they've done is they they, well, so when I say they're at the end of their you know at, at the end of their sort of treadmill, they have now put out a career a, a supplemental book for every career, mm-hmm. and each core book has like six careers in it, right? So they've put out a supplemental book for every every career, uh, and they've put out a couple of different like. Um, 
sector books for the di- for the different areas of the setting, right. and they've put out two or three adventures for each of the each of the books. So I mean, there's a ton of books, but what they've gone to now is doing these things. They're calling them era books, so they're they're mm. highlighting different time periods in sure. the Star Wars universe. Um, so they're not done. They're just they're kind of slowing down. There's a lot of room there to make new and different adventures and they could do a lot of different eras they could probably put out an equipment book or a starship book that's well, separate from what and they've been doing so star yeah. wars has a, star wars has a long history of, of moving the license around too i think it's been oh, only, yeah. it's been i mean three or four different companies in my lifetime has published the the, the official sure. star wars rpg right sure Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not just because I'm saying, you know, that they feel like they're in, at the end of their treadmill in terms mm-hmm. of the career books doesn't necessarily mean they're at the end of the license. I, I'm not trying to uh, predict right. that at all. I don't. But, I don't, but that I, doesn't have I, anything I to do with your that. game. <laughs> we're, no, no, we're we're off topic. <laughs> my game. That's yeah. No, no, nothing to do with my game. So yeah. I don't Man, I'm, just, I'm just hypnotized. I'm still hypnotized by Barrow Maze. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at it like I bought it a while ago. I'm scanning through it while you were talking. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really it is 377 rooms. Yeah, it's it's really really fun to play. And you know, and like I, I mentioned, the differences in the in the in the different creatures and whatnot. Like the skeletons that he's he's got like several different kinds of skeletons. He's he's got these sort of vampiric, bloodthirsty spiders. <laughs> uh, he he's got you know, I mean, it's just it's really fun and. Because the system is such a uh, a rules light system, you know, it only takes like a paragraph to describe what makes this creature different from all the other ones. Mm. Uh, and it's it it's really easy to run in that way because you know it only takes one or two little special kind of things to make it really be a meaningful difference. Uh, yeah, you know, and there's a. I think the, the one I've also, got is a five you know, E version of it. Yeah, there is a there is a fifth edition version of it, so that has slightly different. Uh, creature setup but it's basically the same and so you know if you can run the creatures the same way then i think it would be just as good i haven't actually looked too hard at the fifth edition version of it mm-hmm. so it's cool yeah it's it's right. a really good product it's a really good product well you got one minute left if you want to keep talking uh <laughs> so how far <laughs> how far are you in barrel maze so they have probably gone – so I'm in – we're in our, oh, let's see, 10th session, 10th okay. four-hour session, and they've probably investigated maybe maybe a tenth of it. Yeah. It would be interesting to see like how, how something like this compares to – Dungeon of the Mad Mage when that comes out, mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to be very different because Dungeon of the Mad Mage looks like tw- you know whatever it is twenty different levels each that are kind of its own story mm-hmm. where this is one big ass dungeon. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. it has a lot of different sections too. Yeah, this does ha- definitely have different sections, but it's it's a lot more um, cohesive in terms of what's what's happening. I feel like not that Dungeon of the Mad Mage isn't cohesive but well, I, I mean think we don't that, know yet right yeah, well but yeah. but just the just the fact that there's a different designer kind of right. doing each, sure. each level yeah. is going to be an indicator that and and uh you know historically you know um the the undermountain has different a different feel to each kind of level just the just the his, previous products mm. that had undermountain in them even had that right so it's sort of like uh, i i'm just expecting it to have uh, i'm not saying it's going to be i'm not this is not a comparison to say one's good and one's bad at all but i'm expecting uh mad mage to have a very different feel than something like barrel maze right. barrel yep. maze is, is by one designer it's all very cohesive it has a very specific right. story very specific uh, factions and they all sort of work together interspersed very well not that mad mage isn't going to be interspersed but like it's going to be uh it's just going to be slightly different and they're going to make it as cohesive as possible but it's still a mm. sort of traditional D. you go down into the different parts of the dungeon yeah. and it gets harder as you go farther down and so those those challenges are going to be made for higher level characters where in terms of barrow maze any level character can actually enter that thing at any place at any of the entrances and 
have just as much success or just as little amount of success as mm-hmm. any other of the entrances. Yeah, so I wonder, it's a very different, very different style of game. I wonder how it would compare to uh, what were they called, like the Doom Vault and that Red Wizard thing. That that you remember that adventure, Mike? Yeah, You've talked about it. Sure. I wonder yeah, yeah, how yeah, how it would compare to that. Thing. Yeah, I wonder how it compared that to that. One, yeah, so that one was sort of a medium sized mega dungeon, yeah, right? Yeah. Like. It had, but it, it had it also a bunch of sections, had, but it was one big thing. And it also had that idea that it was supposed to be a multi-table event. Right. It, it, it also had different areas. Like it had the forest area. Right. It had the swampy True. area. It had the area where they had all the housed all the animals kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool dungeon. I'm not, you know, it was really cool. But I think once again, it had like. It's, it's not. It has a different, different feel areas. in different areas. Yeah. 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 All right. Very good. Well, your time is up, so uh, we'll 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 move on uh, and remind people that if you uh, want to support the show and you don't want to go shopping on Amazon or DMs Guild, you can support us directly at Patreon, Patreon.com/slash The Tome Show. You can become a patron of the show and and throw a dollar a month at us or whatever you think uh, you're up for. Uh, that's also oftentimes where I go if if there's. Um, questions like what should we be talking about? What th- kind of things do you want reviewed? What kind of advice should we be doing next? That kind of stuff. Um, I will pop over there once or twice a month and and in, in, interact and, and ask some questions and what have you that helps guide the show. So, patreoncom slash show. Now it is. By, by the way, if you actually send us a question, we will answer it. Oh yeah. In fact, we are going to be answering a question that was emailed to us uh, at the official Tome Show email, thetomeshow at gmail.com, after my segment here. Uh, also, uh, sometimes we'll grab topics that are being discussed on Twitter and discuss those here as well. And we might actually do both of those things tonight, depending on time. So there we are. Uh, my turn. So um, I have not had a regular game in a month and a half, and it is killing me. Like, last time I talked to you was, the, was after the last time I played D&D. Uh, and we left it on this big cliffhanger of, okay, you've just snuck into Minzo Baranzan, and you have to figure out how to get into Gromf Bainray's tower or, or whatever, his room in the Tower of Sorcerer. Um, and, and it's going to be this really weird, stealthy sort of, uh, adventure. And then like, we haven't played in, in a month and a half since, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, all right, get ready for this. You know, you scared them someday. away. <laughs> well, uh, so we've been able to get enough people to play, uh, Torg, which is my go-to. Like if I can get three players, I'll play Torg. If I can get four, we'll play D and D. If it's down to two, then, then we just cancel. Right. Um, so, so two of those times we've been able to get a tour game together. Um, and then last week we had so few that we actually just pushed it to, to this weekend. So I'll finally maybe get to go to Minzo Barons on this weekend. Uh, but we have played a lot of Torg, um, and, and I'm still loving it. And now I'm starting to think about like, okay, what comes next? Because as I've talked about before, like, I mean, assuming we don't have a month and a half delays, the end game of the D&D campaign is kind of in sight, and I'm looking at potentially moving in, like, the end of June. Um, so what do we do in the in-between time uh, if we finish the normal campaign? Um, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of we just do sort of a mini Torg uh, campaign, because Torg works really well as a series of one-shots. Basically, every adventure is, hey, here's your mission, go do the thing, and then when you're done, we move on, right? It's, it becomes fairly episodic, but it's sort of like... Um, you know, you can sort of do a, a Buffy thing with it where it's episodic, but at the end of it, it all kind of ties together, right? Or it, it's pushing a narrative uh, forward. Right now, we're running through these uh, day, what they're called day one adventures, right? So the general idea of Torg is all of these different realities have invaded the Earth. And the the setting sort of begins 90 days after the invasion. So... Everything's invaded. People have kind of sort of figured out what's going on and a resistance movement has had time to organize. But I've really been enjoying these day one adventures, which all start off with, well, you're just a normal person. And then suddenly this crazy, you know, other reality like drops a a huge bridge out of the sky and, and invading armies swarm out and you suddenly transform and become heroes and you know, what do you do now, right? And, and each one does a nice job of sort of introducing not only rules elements, but story elements and, and all these things. And it builds really, really nicely. Uh, we have now finished each of the day one adventures. There's one for each of the, the different realities. They're called Cosms. 
Um, we've finished all of them now, except for the very last one, which means I got to figure out, okay, so what happens next, right? What happens after we finish all of the day one adventures? Um, the last two that we did were in the Nile empire, uh, which is sort of the 1930s, 1920s pulp superheroes, um, reality. Uh, so you can, you know, you got people with like, uh, ray guns and weird science stuff, but there's also like, you know, um, low-level superheroes and Indiana Jones running around and collecting artifacts and, and what have you, because it's, you know, in Egypt, so there's artifacts to collect. Uh, and so that's the reality there. And there is, the, you know, they were actually at the pyramids and the Maelstrom Bridge comes down and then the armies come down and it's a very sort of pseudo-1930s Nazi invasion sort of thing, except that they're not Nazis. Um, they're all dressed up in, like, weird, like, what you would expect from, like, a 1960s... Uh, army of of e ancient egyptian themed soldiers if, if you know what i'm saying like mm -hmm. if you're watching old mm -hmm. old like batman episodes or whatever and there's this all the goons are dressed <laughs> up in in campy uh uh ancient egyptian outfits that's right, sort of what the right. whole not, whole pseudo nazi army invasion uh, looks like <laughs> right but the like the invasion happens like they're at the pyramids and the invasion happens literally the bridge crashes down on the welcome center of the pyramids uh, and so they're right there in the middle of it when it happens and they get, you know, strafed by by uh, machine gun fire as biplanes fly overhead and that kind of stuff. And then they fall into a cave and they're in these these ruins that, you know, previously didn't exist, but reality's changed now. Uh, and and they find a, a scroll that details the location of a bunch of different artifacts in the in the new version of the world, uh, which is, you know, a, a useful sort of seed for the future. And then they come out and find out, oh, all these other like tourists that we were hanging out with before and kind of friends with have been captured and then it becomes a rescue mission. Um, except as I recall, um, they ended up not rescuing the, <laughs> the, 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 the other people. They went in to do the rescue and then got caught in the, in the attempt to rescue. Uh, and and decided that like after several rounds of fighting they're like I don't think we can win this but we're doing this fighting like in a truck how about somebody just jumps in the front and front and starts driving away so they got away they escaped and joined the resistance in Cairo but all the people they were trying to save uh, are still captured um, then the next one we played was because we actually managed to play two two full adventures in one six hour session. Um, so that gives you a sense of once you get there, really figure out how it works, uh, how quickly these things can move. So the second one was the cyber papacy. This is like the, the, the techno church, right. Um, has, has come down and they are offering everybody free cybernetic implants to fix all of their, their ailments. And, you know, you're blind. We'll give you vision. You're missing a limb. We'll give you a fake one, you know, and, and everybody gets free cyber enhancements, except there is a, a, uh, network, uh, and, uh, you know, a sort of super internet that connects them all and the cyber papacy can sort of spy on everybody and keep track of everybody through it. Right. It's kind of a big brother, um, mm -hmm. sort of cyber story. Um, it has terms that like when I'm reading through it, like cyber papacy does not seem weird to me. The fact that the, the super internet that connects them is called the God net does not seem weird to me, but as I'm describing it to me, like one of, one of my players just like, can't get over how, how ridiculous the whole setting sounds. I'm like, it's not supposed to be one of the ridiculous settings. Stop it. You know, <laughs> this is like gritty and, and like these are horrible people and they're, they're invasive, but they pretend that they're, you know, whatever. So that one also ends up being a rescue mission uh, where they have to, they were actually in the middle of hunting for their loved ones when the invasion happened in the city, uh, you know, several miles South of them. And then, you know, people show up and they're like, hey, we're here to help. We hear there's problems, blah, 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 whatever. And, and they find out that their loved ones are missing and they've been taken away and they have to rescue them. And there's a, a chase scene where there's a, a holographic uh, angel chasing them as they've take, take stolen a train and they're running away with all these uh, prisoners. And um, that one they actually got away with and it was kind of cool. Um, so so that that's sort of where we're at. We got one more left. It's the Victorian... Um, horror setting with vampires and werewolves and all of that but it's also where the big bad of all of the the big bads um has, rules right so that's why it's the last one uh so i'm starting to think about what what do i do next with this right there's another series of adventures that are that are published with the original core set called the delphi missions because the delphi council is the resistance movement um i don't really like the structure of how it's set up like the the day one missions are set up as full like here's the full adventure 
here's what happens in Act 1, here's what happens in Act 2, here's what happens in Act 3. Like, it's supposed to be a really cinematic sort of uh, RPG. And so they actually right. set everything up in scenes and acts, right? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and there's mechanical effects of whether when you enter a new scene or a new act or whatever, too. Uh, and so I like that they did that. For the Delphi missions, it... it because I guess they could squeeze a lot more into a lot less space. It was just sort of a, it's just sort of a, well, here's sort of a thing that's happening and here's some locations and NPCs and you guys sort of figure it out and make it up. Right. Um, which I guess is fine, but like, I liked the <laughs> having the scenes in the act set up for me and being able to figure it out easily. Like I didn't have to think about when we entered a new scene or not, because it says that we're in a new scene now. Um, so I just have to think more about it if I want to run that. Or I also backed the second Kickstarter they put out just for their living land, which is sort of the the dinosaur land um, that took mm -hmm. over North America. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and so there's a whole living land campaign that could run several sessions. And so, well, do I do that uh, where I've got it set up and it's really well designed and it's a fun and it's a fun story, but then you're stuck in, in one cosm for the entire session or for the entire several right. sessions right um so i'm just sort of toying with what to do I'm, I'm i've told them from the beginning like if we decide to do more torg after we're done with the day one missions i'm saving all the the pregens that you used and if you want to pull out any of them from any of the adventures that we've run that didn't die you can play them as your character or we can make new characters and we, you know whatever because that's how torque works is you form these teams from all over the place right um so that's sort of where i'm at is figuring out what to do with with Torg next, because we've already talked about what I'm doing in Minzo Barons and hopefully in a few days. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, now that you've jinxed yourself for yeah, another six weeks. I, ha I haven't double checked with everybody to see that they're going to be able to come. I know at least one more person could come this weekend. So we'll see. So, so yeah, Torg has been a lot of fun. I've, I'm really, really enjoying it. In fact, I find a lot of times when I'm really jonesing to, to sit down and play a game, Torg actually comes to mind before D and D does right now, um, so and maybe it's just because it's. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I th I think my players are really enjoying it. I think the there's a lot less pressure to build this large narrative like I've done a lot of times with big D and D campaigns, um, you know. Um, so I don't and I don't know. The adventures are really fun. These day one adventures are, are really well done. So um, they they put together a good thing, but. And it's different enough, right? It, it's got the it's got the, a card mechanic that enhances sort of the the, the other RPG sort of rules. The initiative mm -hmm. uh, is done by by cards uh, and all of that. So, and plus it's like the crazy over the top cinematic. Like when they fought, when a dragon crashed into Trafalgar Square, they defeated it by jumping into a crashed you know fighter jet and and uh, and launching a a missile at its back. You know, right. It, you just do these crazy over the top things sometimes. Right. Other times you're getting your butt whooped and you run away in the, into Cairo and hide. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Uh, it feels like like you're playing a movie, but it's a movie that doesn't fit any genre of any movie that's ever been made. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. See, of that's a that that's kind of why I like the Star Wars Edge of the Empire, mm. because it's very definitely a Star Wars feeling kind of setting. But you can do so many different things right. with what they're and, – and you're not trying to emulate the movies, right? You're just using the setting so you have a common – you know, like a common reference point for everyone to kind of understand what the, the history is. But you're really telling your own story, and, and you could tell it like it's a caper. You could tell it like it's a, a leverage episode. You could right. tell it like it's – you know, I mean there, like there's so many things you can do with it. That's, it's a very different feeling from something like a, a standard traditional Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and that cinematic feel is is something that like D and D is not designed to to really feel like right. this crazy exactly. over the top movie. It's really yeah, fun yeah. for what it is, but that's not what it mm -hmm. is, right? Sure. Um, yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and absolutely. so and so it's it's fun to just sort of um, capture that sometimes, right? Torg's got the mechanics for for crazy chase scenes and, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, it, it's initiative rules are use this drama deck. So, uh, every round you pull a card and it's like, aha, we've got you now is printed across the top. And then, and then it just says, you know, <laughs> right. the, the villains go first or the heroes go first. And there's maybe these other side effects that happen. And sometimes the side effects are, Hey, the heroes get to act twice this round. Or sometimes it's, Hey, the heroes all take two points of shock damage because, you know, you're exhausted and you're tired this round or whatever. And it all plays into that right. drama and, and builds that uh, builds that crazy cinematicness, uh, which actually yeah. takes me to um, 
to some of our, our bonus topics. I've got like two more minutes left in my time, but I'm going to like take my time and just move into our bonus topics because um, talking about the Torg drama deck um, brings me br- flows nicely into one of our bonus topics. Uh, Simat, who, who I think both of you probably know on Twitter. Oh, um, yeah, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. He used to play in one of my old fourth edition games. He was oh, in a campaign of mine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a really good guy. So Simat a while ago was asking questions on Twitter about initiative and um, basically looking for alternatives to initiative. um, You know, it it felt like there was some dissatisfaction, I guess, with the initiative system, the core sort of D&D initiative system. Um, And and so one of the things I suggested to him is, is, you know, if you want to look for something different, look at the the Torg system, right? It's a, it's a card pulled every round and, and it has some small effects, but it it basically, it just sort of dictates, okay, well the villains go first this round, the heroes go, go first this round, whatever. Right. And and that's Mm -hmm. how you determine initiative. And that, that's a system that works well. Um, So then he got me thinking and I started looking at other sort of alternative initiative systems uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord has one that that's interesting as well. That, this one also is, um, I guess, in Shadow of the Demon Lord, the heroes always go first. It's always heroes and then villains. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also fast rounds and and slow rounds. So if you yeah. want to go really fast, if you want to do something quickly before anybody else, then you go in your fast round, which means you can you can only pull one action, right? Um, or you could go in the slow round and then you get all of your actions. Have you have you played Shadow of the Demon Lord with that system? I have, yeah, and that's that's how it works. Okay, uh, and yeah, does it, does... it's like in Five E. If you imagine that you basically get an action, and if you do a slow round, you get a move in an action, or maybe you're moving bonus in action. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would translate well to D anD D? I've uh, I've toyed with it. I don't think so. Okay, um, why not? Well, I think that um, so so one thing in Shadow is that the monster design is expecting that players are going to go first. And I think that the player's capability, the character's capability to nuke in the first round mm. is strong enough that if you if you let player if you let characters always go first, they are they are going to have a significant advantage. So you could probably account for it by like putting a couple extra monsters in there or spreading them out a little further or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, if characters go first, they also I, there's a reason why you can't ready an action or hold your turn mm-hmm. in fifth, fifth, and it's because you can game the system of. Um, like how buffs last and how detriments last. You can right. kind of like keep yourself out of the order so you don't have to take damage or whatever. Um, and and in, in Shadow, you decide your order, which means you could say like, oh, well, I'm going to take damage if this guy's still up. So why don't you go first and try to break his concentration? Mm-hmm. There'd be a lot of strategy that could take place that isn't intended. Yeah. So, I mean, so Torg does that too, um, but it's also intentional, right? And it's And it's supposed to be cinematic. And so it's just sort of heroes go and you can decide your order. Um, so, so then I also looked at sort of the DMG listed options and one of them is side initiative where both, you know, the, the bad guys roll a D20, the good guys roll a D20 and that's the initiative for the round. Are you, I mean, this is from Watsi from in the DMG, right? right? You don't, you don't like that for the same reason or? No, I, well, no, I mean, it's not whether I like it or not. It's just a question of the design, but yeah, I think in that one, so. But in that, don't, don't you roll every, do you roll every round or do you just. Like oh I don't I'd have to I can't remember I can't remember how they do because in in Labyrinth Lord it's old school and you for example you roll side initiative Mm -hmm. but you roll every round and but you know that system is built that way because you also declare actions Mm -hmm. and the the combat takes place in a certain format you know like uh, movement occurs and then ranged uh, attacks and then spells go off and then melee happens at the end but mm. you have to declare your intentional action yeah you know you uh, but so it's well, okay for the party no, so, to just so say what they're yeah. going to do right so and, then it's different so, so yeah sam you're thinking of i think you're thinking of uh, well, so they have that variant in here too, but yeah, the speed factor um, system. Like Merle's, well, no, what, I, what I'm describing is similar is, to that. Yeah, right. But what I'm describing is actually Labyrinth, Labyrinth Lord. Right. right. God. Oh, but gotcha. What I, I just I couldn't remember if in the DMG in the fifth edition DMG, when they did side initiative, if they kept having you roll, because for example, in in games like Castles and Crusades, um, they you roll every, you ro- you only roll a d10 for initiative, but you roll every round, mm. and like in Numenera. Uh, I think you roll, but you just roll once, but then all the everybody on each side gets to decide when they go. Mm-hmm. So you can actually strategize, right? So there's there's actually a lot of different options out there. 
Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and you're right, Jeff, that side initiative in the DMG says that um, you get to act in any order that you want. Mm-hmm. So, yes, in that case, it would it would have all the problems that I mentioned and they don't seem to care. Yeah, and, and but, I, but I know they had mentioned that before. Like there is that reason why you can't yeah. hold an action, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's so that you can't oh, yeah. move move buffs right. around. Yeah, I, I would be tempted to, to use the Shadow of the Demon Lord initiative system, but you can ma- try it, but, yeah. ma- but maybe even just say like round one is you can only do fast actions, right? Yeah, that way so it acts like a surprise. Round so it kind of acts well, or it acts like a surprise round on both ends or whatever. But that way, like there's more. You know, you're busy maneuvering or whatever and setting things up. Maybe some of the the villains live through the first round, right? Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a way that I've been doing it, and I'm very happy with. Um, I, I I tend to go around the table instead of doing initiative order at all. Um, I'll just say like, you know, and usually it's like if the monsters got to jump on the characters, then the monsters go, and then we go around the table. And mm-hmm. if the players, if the characters get to go first, then then we go around the table and then the monsters go last and I will alternate the direction around the table every time mm-hmm. so that it's not the same people, you mm-hmm. know, getting, getting to go at the beginning or end. And the nice thing there is they can't switch the order around. There's not a lot of complicated discussions about shifting their order around. We don't have to hand out any cards. Everybody knows when they go because they know when the person next to them went. Mm. Um, it's a real, and it's super, you know, like it can't be faster. You know, it's, have it's, any, have the, any of them started gaming it to the point of like changing where they sit no, in order to set yeah. things up? So. Nobody, nobody cares. Okay. Yeah. Nobody, nobody cares that deeply. Um, I have thought about the idea of like setting up the character, setting up the players at the table with the character bias decks going around one way, but, but it does, because you're removing the, the, the dice, um, it does mean that certain characters are just always going to go first and then Right. Too. That's so that's to actually one around, of the one of the yeah. DMG options is the initiative score model. Yeah, initiative score, right? Where yeah. you just take dex dex modifier plus ten, yeah. and then you just go in the order every time. But that means it, it's not going to change. Like you, that's yeah. just always the initiative order. Yeah. So one thing I have done is is I I use passive yeah you know, I call it passive passive initiative. I use passive initiative for monsters one hundred percent of the time. I don't. Oh yeah. Monsters. Yeah. So you just do 10 just, plus decks and call it good? 10 plus, 10 plus decks, yeah. And the nice thing is I almost always know it without having to look in the book. I can yeah. almost guess it. And I don't have to roll. I'm just like, you know, you know, the, the monsters have 12. You know, everybody idea. else figure out where you go. And it's like, it kind of doesn't matter anyway because they're still all rolling and they all go. Right. And then yes. if they all roll and they all roll high, then I say, okay, never mind. We're just going to go around the table. And we'll start with whoever had the highest roll. Yeah. Whoever had the highest roll, that's the direction we're going to go. See, I always, yeah. I oftentimes, I will, with that. I'll kind of do a, a version of sort of side initiative, but just with the villains a lot of times, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'll sort of look at, okay, well, I've got these gnolls, I've got this this wizard, whatever. They all kind of average to a plus two, you know, right? And so then I'll roll a d20 and I'll just, okay, the bad guys go here. Everybody else go, you know. Right. Yeah. And, See, and, I, I, that's just what I always did. Or, or I'll, or I'll you know. do the villains in groups. So the gnolls will have, all of the gnolls will have one initiative and all the wizards will have one initiative or whatever. Sure. See, what I, I just roll, I take like the highest, whoever has the highest initiative and I just roll and that's when all the creatures go. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, or it depends, kind of depends on the group though. Sometimes I would take the lowest, right? If it, Like if it's a bunch of kobolds and they're all really sneaky and fast, it, I'll use the highest, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of whatever that sort of group is. But if it's, you know. If it's something that's not super aggressive or not not generally quick, then I'm going to use the lowest, and then every creature on the board is going to go at that time. So it's kind of an, a variant of side initiative, and depending on the group, there have been groups in the past for my fifth edition games where I let the players decide what order they want to go in. I mean, you know, whatever. Because my my thing is, if they have some cool kind of thing they want to do, and to do that, one of the players has to do something to, to set it up and do it before another player, then I'll let them do that. I don't have a problem with that, even though it's not rules as written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really care. But I, I also tend to not have groups that are super min-maxi and super, like, powered out. Like, most of mine are doing very heavily exploratory games and stuff like that. So it's a little bit different. Uh, you know, and it hasn't been super high level either. So, you know, like if you're talking about, oh, well, my eighth level, you know, party can kill Strahd, uh, my my eighth level group couldn't kill Strahd, you know, so. All right. <laughs> so so I think we're we're good on on that conversation. Do we have time to to discuss our email real quick? I know, Mike, you got to get going yeah, pretty quick. Uh, I, I get going. So, yeah, we can. 
Okay, so uh, Zeke emailed. He said, uh, basically to summarize, um, you know, he set up sort of uh, a scenario where he said, you know, here's the three plot hooks. uh, Which direction do the players want to go? And his question is, but, you know, they picked where they want to go. What do I do with the abandoned plot hooks? They're going to be about level 15. He's looking at the end of the campaign soon. Does he sort of run shorter versions of it? Does he just say the bad guy succeeded in those plots? Uh, He doesn't want to punish them for making hard choices, but he also wants their actions to have consequences. What do you do? Mike, why don't you go first since I know you got to sneak out soon. Sure, and I'll just I'll just sneak it after this. Um so I think so if we're talking like I think about them like in fronts and in dungeon world. And I think there's a couple ways you can go, you know, so it, and and really it's sort of up to the DM. Do you want them to go forward and they let the plot hook go so something terrible happens? You know, or do they just ignore it, right? And that that thing kind of peters out, or somebody else takes care of it. There's there's a lot of freedom to handle that in in many different ways, mm-hmm. and and it, a lot of it is like the pacing of the game. Um, I had uh, the opportunity to talk to Adam Coble, who who was one of the co-designers of Dungeon World last night, and he on the on the shameless plug for the DM deep dive, and um, he said that you know there's a lot of urgency when you have like three fronts, and every one of those fronts is moving forward. And the characters can only handle one of them at a time. Um, but the other one is to have them all go relatively slowly so that the characters a- can actually affect all of them. But mm. if you leave if you leave a couple of them be, I, I'd kind of gauge the characters or the players, you know, and how did the, did the players bring it up? Did they like, wow, I wonder what happened with that guy? You know, and and what's the overall is if the theme of the game is one of either urgency or dread, then you can run them hard. And if the but if the if the adventure is one of, um, you know, kind of, you know, wanderlust and exploration, then you might just not have them really come into anything. Or you might have somebody mention that, oh, yeah, well, this other group had to end up handling it or something like that. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing, you know, you can always have, uh, you know, the, it, it sort of depends on your worldview, too. Are the PCs in your setting or in your game, are they the only heroes? Because if, if other heroes rise up and defeat whatever the other obstacle or the other challenge was, then when the party gets back home, hey, there's these other heroes that are being celebrated. And maybe you don't have as much fame as you thought you were going to get well, because and that's you, weren't, a consequence you weren't the only too, right? saving the world. Right. Well, that that's what I mean, though. Like, yeah. that's a way to do it without having to do like, oh, the world is apocalyptically damaged because you picked the wrong thing to explore, you know, or you picked the wrong uh challenge to deal with like to to you know modify that a little bit you don't you don't need to have three apocalyptic issues and the party gets to pick one like you're presumably giving them three choices because it's three interesting things they might want to pursue if they've only got time to pursue one you know you can back burner one of them or you can you know if they ask about another one you know somehow that plan got foiled but it's really not widely known how it got foiled and that might actually lead to another campaign where they try to figure out what actually happened there um or it could just be that some other group rose up and became heroes uh, regarding the other storyline and that there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. yeah i actually emailed zeke back with sort of my process of how i would think through this um, and it basically comes down to a lot of what uh, both you and Mike talked about um, with the ultimate caveat of the answer to every question should be or the question, the ultimate question for every option you think through is, OK, so so which one is the most interesting, right? Which one is more fun? Right. Uh, you know, is it that the plot, the other plot hook was foiled? OK, by who? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, right. what are the consequences of that being foiled? Uh, did, was it successful? Okay, that's fine too. But what are the consequences of that? How does that change things? And, and how is that fun or interesting? Maybe mm. it was partially successful. What happened? You know, um, you know, and, that, and maybe there, there was another hero band or whatever. Same thing with like, maybe it was delayed. So you can still go deal with it. But why was it delayed? Like think through those right. things uh, and, and, and change it and make it more interesting. Because then like it, maybe it was delayed. Okay. But there was a reason it was delayed. So there's still a consequence. Like something still happened that yeah. caused it to there, be delayed. It, and it could be something as, as, uh, as, as seemingly non-consequential at the moment as something like uh well you know this uh, this other group had to rise up and and become powerful enough to defeat that particular issue that Mm -hmm. the party ignored and and because they chose a different route and while that occurred 
someone uh, was killed, right, right. Dur- during this this other conflict, and the the child or spouse or cousin or best friend or something of the person that was killed now is going to be the villain for the next campaign because yeah. they they blame the other party. You know, if you had if you had pursued this like we asked, we would my my cousin or my brother wouldn't have had to die. Right. It, trying to fight this off, but you ignored us. You went and you chose to help these other people. So now you're my mortal enemy, and I'm going to rise up and become a villain. Sure. And, you know, or or even to, just you know, so. or just the town is pissed at you now because the the beloved you know yeah. Uncle Fred yeah. died or whatever. Right. And and that's the thing, right? It can have a vast range of different responses and different consequences mm-hmm. depending on the scope of of what the actual choices were. Mm-hmm. You know. As I said, it could be something that's apocalyptic. Yeah, you went and you helped defeat this other this other event that was going to occur, but now you know actually part right. of the world is much worse off because of that decision. The grand and sacrifice they, they the cult was going to make ended up being assassinated before they could get them to the get them to the altar. Well, now there's you know that's consequences, and it delayed them. You yeah. know they got to wait exactly. till the, they got to wait till that phase of the moon comes up again before they can sacrifice somebody else. So you've got time. My my last my last thing I want to say I know Mike has to run off is you know your job as the GM in part is to make it fun for your players mm-hmm. so presumably they're picking the one that they find the most interesting or they think is going to be the most fun so focus on that one make that one the most fun if they come back later and they ask about the others you know it's okay if you say you need to think about that to figure mm-hmm. out exactly what the consequences are. It's okay if you don't have a ready pat answer. You don't have to have the answer to everything right then. Okay. As long as you provided them with the fun game for the one they did choose, then you're good as gold. You're okay. Yep. All right. I think we've, we've talked through that. Thank you, Zeke, for sending in the email. Thank you, Simat, for posting interesting questions on Twitter. Everybody can do the same thing. The Tome Show at gmail.com is the email. Uh, at the tome show is the twitter and of course you can you know find us on patreon at patreon.com slash the tome show so uh that's us that's our games this is november uh we'll see you next month and say goodbye guys goodbye guys Bye.